Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Loretta Learn, Fund Specialist at Julius Baer. In this episode, we look to explore different aspects of the private credit market. With this, we are privileged to have Derek O'Leary, CEO of Global Private Wealth at Blue Arrow Capital, to share his observations and insights with us. Blue Arrow is one of the leading direct lending platforms with over 71.6 billion US dollar of assets under management. Hello, Derek. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Private credit seems to be a term appearing more frequently right now. For some listeners, you may have heard of the term before, while some of you may be new to the term. To start today's discussion, can you please explain to us what private credit is? Certainly. And I, again, want to thank you for having me here today. You're absolutely right. Many people are familiar with the public versions of both stocks and bonds, the equity and debt of companies, but many are unfamiliar with their private counterparts. In private companies, the equity, often owned by the owners or founders of the business, and sometimes is owned by private equity firms. But the debt, too, is private, and that's where direct lending or private credit comes in. Blue Owl, we're focused on a certain subset of the private credit market, which is direct lending where we partner directly with the private equity firm and help them finance the buyout of these businesses without using an intermediary, such as a bank. The reason the growth has been so extraordinary in private credit over the last several years is really the features of it. Investors like the high cash returns paid from floating rate coupons. They like the ability to partner with large sponsors like Toma Bravo, Silver Lake, and others. And they also like the diversification and steady predictable interest income with downside risk. Thank you, Derek, for the introduction. So I have a question here. Companies can borrow capital from banks or raise debt in the public market. So why would companies borrow from the private markets that you have just described? And what has fueled the growth in popularity in private credits? Sure. Well, recently, there's certainly been some regulatory and structural changes in the market that have reduced the amount of capital to these middle market companies. But also, there are really three main reasons that people borrow from private credit firms like Blue Owl. One, certainty of pricing. Oftentimes, when you go to a bank, you don't get your pricing until the loan is ultimately sold. So when you're trying to underwrite the business without knowing what your cost of capital is, it can be quite difficult. Whereas in private credit, you'll know what your pricing is going to be as soon as we agree to the deal. The second is privacy, and this can't be overstated. Private equity firms value privacy. And when borrowing from a bank, both on a syndicated loan as well as a high-yield bond, these are public debt instruments, and they require all the property disclosures that a public equity instrument would as well. So you'd have to file your Ks, Qs, you'd have analyst coverage, research reports, etc. And then finally, partnership. Private credit managers are able to come to the table and help find solutions for companies in both good and bad times. We can avert problems before they become unmanageable whereas in a public loan typically only gets settled in a bankruptcy court. When things are going well, we can help them grow, and when they're struggling, we can help them navigate those tough times. So now the floating rate elements of the private credits may remind us of senior loans, which are also floating rates in nature. How does private credits compare to senior loans? 
Yeah, I think you really hit the only true comparison, and that is both have floating rates. I would say the similarities really do stop there. Private credit is, again, remember, the lender is actually partnering directly with the borrower. There is no intermediary. There's no selling of the loans. And as a result, we actually handle all of the full covenant packages. We structure the deal. We write all the documents. And we really hold that loan on our balance sheet. Whereas a bank is simply underwriting that loan to the rate the market is willing to accept so that it can sell it. While liquidity in the private markets is certainly much more limited, a workout process for a private credit manager allows much more control compared to a senior loan, allowing for greater recovery should something go wrong. You have highlighted the growth in the private credit market earlier. So is it growing too fast? And is it really sustainable? This is a question I get quite often, and it's the one I'm most surprised by. This notion that there's too much capital chasing too few deals is simply a fallacy. The truth is there's actually not enough capital in direct lending today. If you remember what we do, we partner with private equity to help them finance their buyouts. And typically for every dollar of equity, they generally borrow one dollar of debt. Last year, if you were to just isolate that, private equity raised close to one trillion dollars in last year alone. So that would tell you the demand for debt is at least one trillion dollars. But if you looked at private credit managers again globally for direct lending, we raised approximately 120 billion. So there's about a trillion dollars in demand and only about 120 billion dollars in supply. There's an enormous amount of room for private credit to grow. The real issue for direct lenders is not enough capital and certainly way too many deals. I see. You've also explained earlier that banks have pulled back lending to mid-sized private companies. And therefore, direct lenders are filling the void in offering an alternative to banks. As a direct lender, what sorts of companies do you normally lend to? And what qualities or attributes are you looking for in those borrowers? As a lender, the most important thing is obviously the ability to be repaid. And you're repaid through cash flows. So we're looking for market-leading companies with high-quality revenue streams that are recurring over time and more annuity-like in nature. We're looking for companies that possess prestige, high brand value, high barriers to entry, and strong competitive positioning. We're typically looking to finance the number one, two, three player in a particular industry. Mission-critical solutions that are essential to business operations and tightly integrated into workflows are also very important for us. Okay, now facing a higher interest rates and the risk of recession, investors would probably be concerned about defaults. So what are you seeing in the credit markets at the moment? And what has been the historical loss rates of the markets? Sure, another great question. I think if you start to isolate direct lending as an asset class, you'll quickly see it's fared much better than other credit instruments, particularly in downturns. Historically, the default rate for direct lending has been about 2% per year. That's going back well over 20 years. Now, the last few years, it's been a bit more of a benign credit environment, and defaults have been closer to 1%. But when there's a default, that doesn't mean you actually lose all of your money. On average, you're generally recovering about 70 to 80 cents on the dollar. So losses on a typical year are somewhere around 50 to 60 basis points, with the last few years being actually significantly less at about 25 to 30 basis points. In general, we're not witnessing any really broad-based erosion in credit quality across our borrowers. As I mentioned earlier, we tend to focus on companies with strong, predictable cash flows and annuity-like revenue streams. Hmm. Speaking of defaults, how would you avoid defaults or loan accruals from the companies? 
And in case of a default, how would you manage the situation? Yeah, look, the way you manage defaults or really manage avoiding them is doing a lot of work up front. It comes back to your underwriting. Again, investing in non-cyclical businesses with annuity-like cash flows, such as industries like healthcare, insurance, enterprise software, things where regardless of what's happening in the economy, those businesses are going to be in demand and their customers are going to need those businesses. But prior to any payment default, unlike a bank, we're able to work with our borrower to resolve financial stress. Remember, we're getting financial statements updated quarterly, sometimes monthly from every one of our borrowers. So long before something becomes a true unmanageable problem, we've already been working for months, if not many quarters, to help resolve that issue. We've invested heavily in our investment team. Sitting here today, we now have over 100 investment professionals focused exclusively on direct lending, making it one of the largest teams in the market. It was great to learn about the different situation in the market and how you would manage in case of a default. So before moving on, we have questions regarding some terms. So some of our listeners may have heard of the terms first lien senior secured and sponsor backed lending. So can you explain what these terms means and what is the importance there? Certainly. Look, a lien is real simple. It's the legal right of a creditor to seize the collateral from a borrower. At the end of the day, we're collateralized by the full enterprise value of the corporation. So if in the event something would go wrong, as a first lien, as you mentioned, a lender, we are the first person to get paid back. We are the first person in line to receive any and all the cash flows or recoveries from those assets. I think you also mentioned sponsor back. Sponsor-backed lending means, again, what I originally alluded to in the beginning, which is partnering with private equity. Lots of firms may do what's called non-sponsored, meaning they're lending directly to the owner or founder of a business. We're partnering with some of the world's leading private equity firms. They're generally putting up a significant amount of their capital, more so than ours. And we are then collateralizing ourselves around that entire company with all of that equity cushion ahead of us. We also have questions on valuation methods. Market quotation for private credit positions may not be as readily available as instruments in public markets. So how is the valuation done for private credits? I think this is a sort of unique for us as well. Many of our peers who are certainly world-class managers and have best-in-class valuation procedures, ours are a bit different. What most people do is they will value their entire portfolio, send it to a valuation firm for affirmation. And that firm will take a look at it, and if it's close enough, it's close enough. We actually don't do that. What we do is we actually ask our third-party valuation firm, in our case, Kroll, what was formerly Duff and Phelps, to just go ahead and take our book and mark it. So we truly do get independent, fully transparent valuations done every single quarter. After diving in some technical terms and learned about the valuation methods, let's continue to talk about other characteristics of private credits. So over the course of a market cycle, how would private credits perform during different periods in the cycle? The way we look at private credit is it truly is an all-weather strategy. If you go back as far as we've been looking at data, which we now have close to 25 years of data on, private credit has only had one down year as an asset class. That year was in 2008, where it was down roughly about 7%. Other than that, every single year, private credit's been up. Now, that certainly doesn't mean it'll be up every year going forward, but it is nice to know that regardless of what's happening in the economy, 
private credit is typically performed very, very well. That's been over cycles of rising interest rates, flat interest rates, and declining interest rates. In each of those environments, private credit has been able to show strong single, high single to low double digit returns. Moving on to my next question. For institutional investors, how do they actually position private credits in their portfolios? And what are the trends that you have observed? Yeah, what I would say is the trend has really been to make the private credit more of a core allocation to their portfolio. It's funny, when we started the business uh, almost eight years ago now, every time we would work with an institutional investor, we would generally face off with one of two groups, either their fixed income team or their private equity team. Very few firms actually had a private credit team. Today, however, almost every institutional investor has a dedicated team focused exclusively on private credit because in their minds, it no longer is a trade. It's not something to get in and get out of, rather a core allocation that will be part of their portfolio for quite some time. So I would say more and more institutional investors are allocating capital to the space and remaining committed to it over the long term. Lastly, what are the biggest risks and concerns in the private credit markets? And third, what are some other specific considerations that should be taken note of before investing in private credits? At the end of the day, private credit is all about credit selection. It's about picking the right borrowers with the right companies on the right terms with the right covenants and the right investor protections. And as long as we do those things well, you're likely to have a positive experience. Credit risk is oftentimes mitigated, again, before the loan is even made. It's mitigated through thorough due diligence, partnering with the right firms, and then advancing a very small amount of the capital structure. As I mentioned already, generally as a lender, you're advancing 30 to 40% of the capital structure, but having 60 to 70% equity cushions ahead of you. That was our last question, and thank you, Derek. Through this episode, we have learned more about what private credit is and its recent developments. We have also discussed some of its features and risks, as well as its behavior over the course of a market cycle. Thank you, Derek, again. It was great to have you share your thoughts and valuable insights. This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com/legal/podcast for further important legal information.